You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a little bit of Zen along the way. All right, this show is really special. We go to Costa Rica for a honeymoon uh, anniversary. <laughs> I didn't just get married. For a wedding anniversary, a 20-year wedding anniversary, Emily and I and Kai and I cover how... I was listening. What, is, what are those birds over there? That was a different bird sound. I cover how we do a five-day vacation in the tropics with, uh, as triathletes and how to mix in some activity and also uh, take a break at the same time. The swim, bike, run, got that all in there. And I've never been to Costa Rica. I've never been to Central America. I've been to uh, Mexico and Jamaica as far as um, heat and tropics go. And uh, if you're new to this podcast, we live in Texas. So, and I used to live on the border of Mexico down in Harlingen, Texas. So it's not entirely uh, out of my wheelhouse, but this is definitely someplace I've never been and I go with the true Zen beginner's mind. And I took notes for five days while I was there on what was surprising and different and things to know. So it's just chock full of cool little tips and observations and, and funny little stories of uh, what we saw and uh, what happened. <laughs> I'm just thinking in the back of my mind some of them already. But I have them all organized into a nice uh, flow of notes. I organized them on the plane on the way back. So that'll be really cool. And then also, we have an email from a listener that has it's a very short email, but it's very cool um, about he has a mechanical heart valve. And I wanted to read that on the air and how he's successful in triathlon with that. And he's actually uh, started off pretty young in triathlon. Uh, it's a birth defect where he had a uh, heart valve replaced mechanically. Somebody's sprinklers just kicked on. I'm, uh, oh yeah, they're really on. Let's walk down the street. We are back in Texas and you can hear all the birds and Dante who wrote Dante's Inferno also wrote that uh, hell is a place with no birds and if you listen to an audio recording and can hear the birds and it, it is so soothing so nice it's very relaxing it's spring here in Texas got a lot of good stuff going on here trees are starting to bloom a little bit blossom leaves budding out all right and then we're going to start off the show with talking about the zen concept of emptiness and what it really means because it doesn't mean what you think it does uh, in zen we talk a lot about 
letting go, uh, realizing that life is suffering, which sounds terrible, but that's a misinterpretation. And the struggles of uh, dealing with, with life and how to overcome that. The Zen Buddhist concept. Hello, Bertie. is uh, really interesting in that um, emptiness and fullness has more to do with uh, believing things. The fullness is believing things have to be a certain way and that uh, your mind is full of concepts and emptiness has to do with letting those concepts go so that you can actually see things for what they really are and when your mind is empty of concepts preconceived notions that are often wrong then you can actually uh, really get forward in life it's like if, if um, judging a book by its cover so you see somebody and just by looking at them you think they're a certain way like somebody can look scary and then you're, oh I don't want to talk to that person that person is terrible and then that you're full at that point of a concept and then emptiness is the realization that well first you meet you start talking to that person and you realize that person's actually really nice i've met so many people like that and really cool and and really uh, somebody you should get to know right and Emptiness has to do with um, letting that those those useless uh, concepts that are based on, on a false reality, uh, letting them go and being more empty. So we're going to talk about that in detail a little bit more. I kind of just did, <laughs> but a little bit more. I got to go for a run, so we're going to leave the mic and. We'll be right back. I'm going to go run with some birds and then we'll talk more about all the topics there. Here's Zen, emptiness, and Costa Rica trip and our email from our listener. All right, hold on. Oh, I forgot to mention. I always forget stuff. I forgot to mention one of the things I grabbed in Costa Rica was audio recordings of the howler monkeys outside of our hotel room. And here's just a small sample. I'll play uh, more of it when we get to the uh, Costa Rica bit. It was a trip. And when they're right outside of your hotel room, it is a bit freaky, but they're actually pretty cute. And they have a little, the, the, a monkey troop will have um, babies with it and everything. It's really cute. All right, here is the audio. These are uh, howler monkeys. right over our room. Yep, that's him. It's like when one goes off, the other ones go off. Oh, there he is. There's two of them.
items here. Alright, we are back with my run all done. Let's see what we got here. I did a fasted run. I had to get into my car to get out a towel so I could actually use my uh, phone screen. The iPhone X does not like to work when it's damp. Seven miles, almost exactly a 10 minute mile, just a hair under, like a 9.59. Let's see. Like I said, I did fasted sort of carb fasted is what i did to be specific and let's see what it says when i hit save so i went to bed around 9 30 10 last night and <clears throat> zen tip triathlon tip not zen tip uh set an alarm to go to bed yeah 957 seven miles at a 957 629 calories which will be important in a second and Uh, then got up this morning, didn't start running until like 8 o'clock. Um, had coffee with a chunk of butter in it. Maybe a tablespoon of butter? I don't know. Something like that. Not too much. But some. Frothed it with an arrow. I think it's called an arrow. Arrow whirl, arrow press, whatever. It's like a little miniature frother that takes two little batteries. It's handheld. You just froth it real quick. And some salt. Sea salt's even better. And then I uh, went for a jog and no breakfast on purpose, no carbs on, pur on purpose. Because this whole fasted thing, you know, uh, metabolism, uh, low carb, high fat, all that, there is some merit to it, it seems. Uh, you can go back not too far back from now. This is March, so it's probably early March 2018, and find a GTN, Global Triathlon Network, video where they had a nutrition expert on there talking about, does this actually work? And they said, yes, it depends, which we're going to always get to on the show. <laughs> That's your Zen thing right there. Middle path. Middle freaking path, people. The it depends is if you do it on occasion, and they said like one, two, maybe three times per week, then um, and no breakfast and then go run or bike or swim in the morning. Uh, up to an hour, hour and a half maybe. I just did an hour and 10. And then what it does is it teaches your body to build mitochondria. It requires your body to build mitochondria that are better at metabolizing fat, body fat for fuel. Uh, metabolizing what you have on board and then when you do race or go long you don't need 
such high sugar requirements to go anywhere. And I do, um, I don't do that so often lately, except for today, but I have been doing, um, I plan on doing it more after seeing that video. I'm more opportunistic and I think maybe that's a, a good idea for a lot of us is I'm like, oh, it's really inconvenient to eat right now. So, and this happens once, twice a week. <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna go without. And it's, it seems to be working nicely because, it could work a little bit better though, because this morning um, it was, I was 45 minutes into my run, um, just jogging zone two heart rate, or a heart rate strong, drinking a little bit of salt water. Water was just a little bit of salt in it. And um, it was, uh, I'm fine. And uh, 45 minutes in, I'm going up a hill and I start to feel like a limiter is being put on me, like, right? So it would be nice not to have that. So I could probably do it a little bit more. But I've been um, metabolism tested uh, years ago. And this is when I was so sugar dependent. And they said, yeah, you are burning way too much sugar. You can't finish an Ironman without blowing up, bonking. And then when you bonk, you, um, you your body doesn't know how to use all the uh, fat that's already got, it already has stored on board. So the bonk is hard. And you could tell, like, uh, like I was saying today, I went running and then I, going uphill, I felt a limiter but it wasn't a bonk. So I did seven miles, no bonk, right? I call it being bonk proof. It's on occasion doing that. So anyway, the butter thing is, you know, that's optional. I think that was more of a crutch and coffee. But I noticed uh, as I started fueling more frequently during my morning workouts, uh, earlier and more often that I started feeling more sugar dependent. So I thought I'd swing back and do this a little bit. All right, let's talk about uh, emptiness. Uh, while I was running, I was thinking of what's a, a good way to put this. And one way is, you know, if you're walking in the dark and you think there's a, uh, you know, it's level in front of you, but there's like a drop off or even a step up and the shock to your body of your like, oh, <laughs> right? The jolt and the jarring of missing a step because you didn't know it wasn't there is shows you your um, predisposition to thinking that things should be there. And then also your body's reaction to when you are turned on your head and the thing that you thought was there is not. And it should be noted that you shouldn't go around like acting surprised and amazed that every time you put your foot down that there's ground in front of you. <laughs> you know, that that's um that's like that's being dumb and stupid at the same time. That's not useful. Uh back to the middle path, it's this is a useful tool to know and have in your hip pocket uh when the situation presents itself. So there's like, I was thinking there's like three levels of this. Um, one is uh, practicing it on purpose or just knowing this, you know, like on your daily encounters, notice 
that, oh, that's not what I thought it was. Huh, that's interesting. This person isn't who I thought they were. Oh, this person surprised me. Oh, there wasn't as much traffic as I thought there was going to be, and I was all miserable about it, right? And notice how much we do this and how much um, being empty, quote-unquote, is a um, better way to, uh, to go through life at times. And then the second way, there's a guy coming with his arm in a sling. I'm going to fill my mind with a conception and say, because it's spring broke, he broke his collarbone or his arm while snow skiing. Hold on. Morning. What'd you do to your arm? Oh, I just like hit my shoulder. Were you skiing? No, I was up doing something on the roof. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, I've done that. All right, see, we were wrong. He, uh, he heard it doing roof work. Okay. Then we, um, the second step is to purposefully go into uh, situations, a safe situation, say a run or swim or a bike with all your gear and all your stuff for your safety net in case you're wrong. But then go, um, you know, like you get your fuel and your water and stuff, but then go into it with no judgment and say, all right, here we, uh, or traffic, you know, anything like that. And then just go, okay. And then watch how you react and how you're much more able to observe things with no, with no uh, preconceived notions of how things should be. Should is a very bad word. It's the four letter word in, uh, in Zen. If you say should, that's a problem. And I've done this um, several times. Uh, well, many times. It's actually really fun. Uh, one time I went uh, whitewater and lazy river tubing down the Komal River with friends. And I had no idea what was going to happen the rest of the day. And I just gave up and just said, whatever happens, happens. We'll probably be fine. We had our cell phones so that we could find each other down the river. We knew where we were staying. We weren't staying too far from the river. Uh, both my friends are um, very capable adults, and uh, and it ended up being great. And it also ended up being able to really enjoy the river without worrying about everybody else. Well, because we got separated, we I predicted we'd get separated from each other, and no freaking out, no whatever. And it was fun. It was freaking great. It was one of the best times of my life. And then, um, you can go into that's step two and then step three is to go into start employing this in your life more and more often and having and this is true mastery of this by the way not having the safety net and just going into day after day of going i don't know what's going to happen and it'll probably be all right it usually is and that takes uh, confidence and less fear to master. 
And also, you got to remember the middle path. You don't do stupid stuff. There's some story about a guy that decided to say yes to everything. And he ended up in jail in like three days. <laughs> so no, you know, you don't just assume act surprised every time that there's pavement under your foot whenever you take a step forward, right? Now, uh, my really good story on that is uh, when I did my self-supported Ultraman two or three days ago, Triboomer asked me, so it's three days. It's, a, it's like a double, almost more than a double, like a double and a half Ironman spread out over three days. And he asked me right before we got started, he goes, so what's the plan? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, I've got no plan. You can't have a plan for this. You've trained Right? That's kind of your safety net in a way. You've trained. Um, you've got a course. Um, but you can't predict what's going to happen. So I went into that like kind of in a state of meditation. Not really meditation, but just observing my... The whole point was to observe my reaction to what I do as the three days kept throwing stuff at me. And then you learn about yourself. And... Um, the swim, uh, I went and did, uh, I swam easy and I was like, oh, that's how fast I swim when I swim easy as a lake swim. And then, uh, day one, it's a 10 K six mile swim. And then like a 90 mile bike ride. And then on the bike ride, I've ridden 90 miles plenty, you know, but I was like, oh, this is how it feels to ride a bike 90 miles after swimming 10 K. <laughs> And I didn't know that. I was like, oh, this is interesting. But I was like, okay. And then go to bed, wake up. And then the next day, 175 or 72 mile bike ride. And it was about halfway through that where I kind of mentally detached and got launched in the space of just pure unknowing. I'd never, I think once I went over 112 miles, right? I was like, okay, now we're in the stratosphere and entering, uh, entering cosmic space <laughs> no idea what's happening next and then on day three and I finished and I was fine and I ate and went to bed and then day three I um, started off with a double marathon you, you do a double marathon and I was like I've never run a double marathon just loops of like two miles three miles around my house and um, we're gonna see what happens right uh, I've done ultra running before, and uh, that was nice to have done that, but I had no idea what it was going to feel like to do this after doing the previous two days of stuff. And being empty allowed me to um, really learn about myself and watch how I reacted to... Um, things as they got thrown at me and then as you the whole point the coolest thing is once you know about yourself and how you react to stress and situations the confidence you have in yourself and knowing yourself um, that carries you out for the rest of your life um, when you're walking down the street you're going into us going into a store you're going into work uh your boss presents you with a really tough situation life presents you with a horrible situation you know yourself you know how you react to stress and your self-confidence is liberating and you don't walk around walking uh, like you're 
super duper. What you, what it is is you're like you know your limits, <laughs> and so the true liberation is being able to say, "Yeah, I'm not good at that. Uh, we should pass that off to somebody else, uh, you know, or that's too much for me." And um, yeah, I can do that. No, I can't do that. That's too hard. Um, and then when you're passing off things to better people that aren't, uh, that are better equipped to handle that one thing than you, or you already have your plate full and you know it, even if you're good at something, if your plate's full, you can't handle it anyway. And now you're just being selfish to try to handle it yourself. So you can hand it off to other people. That frees you up to be more here and now with what you are working on. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So that is what emptiness can do for you and i hope you like it i'm gonna go inside and have i think emily was making scrambled eggs and pancakes been looking for some fruits and veggies too ate a lot of mango in costa rica and yeah we're gonna speaking of costa rica we're gonna cover that uh next hold on All right, let's take a break from the show and talk about a new sponsor, a very, very important new sponsor I'm super excited about, and it's Martin, M-A-U-R-T-E-N, Martin Hydrogel. I started using their stuff after hearing about it, and then I had such great results that I was posting on Instagram that I was kicking butt and taking names with this stuff, and then they reached out to me and said, do you want to um, do you want to work with us? Because whoa, there's a lot of people that follow uh, Zen Triathlon, and you're doing long distance stuff, and we want to uh, move over from running into uh, more triathlon stuff. And I said absolutely, because this stuff is pure gold. I'm holding a packet in my hand right here. It is amazing. What it is is a hydrogel, and it's. Pretty much really simple. It's, it's sugar and maltodextrin, so it's simple and complex carbs. That's it. A little bit of, a little bit of electrolytes like sodium. Um, I add salt stick to mine to give it, to give it uh, more electrolytes. But it's also got two other very important but very common ingredients that no one has done yet before, and it is sodium alginate and fruit pectin. And those are very common ingredients in food. You probably eat them all the time. But what they do is they turn the stuff into a hydrogel. So you put this, a packet, into uh, a bottle of water and shake it up, you know, your bike bottle, whatever you're using. Shake it up and then it tastes like sweet water, right? But sodium alginate and pectin, when they hit stomach acid, they plump up into a gel. And then that gel coats and surrounds the sugar and the complex carbs uh, with water, your stomach sees it as one big thing, almost like solid food, and pulls it through without you getting sick and pulls it through to your intestines. And it's, it works, and it's the cure for all these fueling problems that we have in triathlon, especially long-distance triathlon or long-distance ultra running. It has been said that Ironman is an eating competition <laughs> because you 
it's almost impossible to get in enough calories and go the Ironman distance. Eventually, people bonk, they get dehydrated, they have complete meltdowns. It's so hot out there. By the time you hit the run, uh, most runs in an Ironman are way above the temperatures of where they would cancel a marathon uh, that would be a standalone marathon. And I've seen marathons canceled for being, you know, starting at, you know, they're like 80 degrees or something like that. They're like, oh, it's just too hot. It's like, dude, that's cooler than when we start the Ironman Texas Ironman. And how do you get this? How do you get the calories in you when um, you're just burning up and it's so hot? And this stuff does it. Where I first heard about it was an interview with a woman that was breaking the record for the amount of miles run in uh, 12 hours, 100 and something miles or something. And she uh, said towards the end she was fading and then somebody handed her a bottle of this stuff and um, she immediately could feel a, uh, the difference and a whole lot better, picked up her pace and then finished strong. And that's what I said, yeah, like 12 hours nonstop on a track in the, and it started getting hot and that's when she started melting down and then she took this stuff and it picked her up. Does that sound like a little bit like an Ironman? Just a little bit and or an, even an ultra run. And then the guys that were trying to break the uh, two-hour record in the marathon, the Nike project, they were wearing their special shoes and seeing if they could uh, break two hours. Well, there's more to it. They were drinking this, Martin, as their fuel. And they said that they couldn't believe it, how well it worked. And yeah, I started uh, kind of following this, researched it. And, and I thought, you know what? When I read about the science of it, I ordered some personally myself, ordered it and then started training with it. And then I couldn't believe it, like how well it worked. I did something like a two or three hour bike ride on this fuel and then went out and ran an hour plus afterwards. And it was like the fastest I had run off of the bike ever. And also I tried one of the big packets they come in 320 calorie packets if you want. There's a 320 and 160. I tried one of the 320 calorie packets on the run to see if you could actually eat 320 calories of this and it not make you sick. And I felt amazing, no stomach pain, nothing. And it was a warm day and I was hauling ass. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. In fact, I remember the next week I had trouble walking because my legs hurt so bad, because I was, I had over, I had outfueled what my body could handle. I had never gone that fast and that hard before. And so my joints hurt <laughs> from running so fast after that much abuse. I just over abused my body. And the only way I could was because I was uh, uh, fueled with so much like rocket fuel. It was unbelievable. But again, the ingredients are really simple. And it's the fact that it's a hydrogel and it passes uh, through your stomach so your stomach doesn't get upset and it allows you to eat way more calories uh, when you need it. And my recommendation so far is the 320 calorie packets on the bike, uh, you know, the bigger packets on the bike and try to get those calories in and then on the run switching over to the, uh, the half packets, the 160s and kind of see how that works for you on your training days. And yeah, it's about to get really, really hot. And this, uh, this stuff's gonna become really, really valuable up here in the Northern Hemisphere. So make sure you get some. Um, we're going to have some sort of a discount code soon. Um, 
But they reached out to me after they saw my success with it on Instagram. I'm Zen Triathlon on Instagram and on Twitter. And they said, hey, whoa, holy cow, you're doing really good with this stuff. Um, we've been running focused, but now we want to get into triathlon. And uh, would you like for us to work with you? And I said, absolutely. I want to talk about y'all on the show because I want to help people solve this mystery of the fueling. And I think this is it. This is the cure right here. And they said, cool. So they sent me some and I've been, I've been using it. I already went through all the stuff that I bought because <laughs> it really works. And uh, yeah, that's just what I wanted to get out there is I use this and then they saw I was doing so well with it that they wanted to uh, get on the show and uh, help us out here. So watch my Twitter and Instagram feeds. They're both in triathlon. And uh, see if I post a discount code um, to see if you can get it a little bit cheaper. But don't hold back and, and wait. Go ahead. <laughs> If, if you've got the uh, fueling problem with the heat and you want to do really well, this stuff is it. I'm holding it right here in my hand. It's amazing. All right, that's it for now. I've actually got to go for a run, and I'm going to take this packet right here and put it in my run. It's hot outside, but I've got no worries because this stuff gets sucked right into your body. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, let's go ahead and get started on the Zentri Costa Rica review. I am sitting outside of Freebirds World Burrito and uh, just had lunch, so we're going to cover as much as, this, as much as we can before I have to go back to work. The, um, the first thing I want to mention is this is all from a beginner's uh, mind point of view, Never been to Costa Rica before. So a lot of these observations are comparing it to where I'm from. And I've traveled quite a bit and lived all over the United States. And uh, so I've seen lots of stuff and I'm, I, uh, I have a background in geography, human geography, economic geography and all that. And I, um, I'm very uh, up, try to be up on uh, what's normal and what's, uh, I don't know, just uh, and, not, and not be like insensitive or, all that stuff. So I want to clarify from the beginning that if I sound like I'm making fun of something or if I sound uh, rude or, or whatever, that is 180 degrees from my intention. I was, it's more just comments on like what I saw and, um, and also to share with, with y'all about uh, what you might see if you go there. And I don't find anything. uh, I find everything in the world as a result of just the result of where it is and circumstances and I'm never uh, uh, thinking less of, of anything and I'm always amazed that we're able to survive on this planet at all. <laughs> so, um, uh, and I'm very sensitive to negative speech and I guess that's why I'm going on my little, uh, my little sidebar here. Um, I don't like listening to podcasts where people are negative and talk down and stuff like that ever. I turn, it's such a huge turnoff to me. So, if you're getting that vibe at all, if you feel like, well, why do you say that? That sounds rude or whatever. That is not my intention whatsoever. And I, I loved Costa Rica. I'd go back in a heartbeat. Okay. So, uh, let's see. It was a three hour flight out of Houston. So if you want to go, then you, uh, yeah, it's like maybe three hours, 30 minutes, something like that. Direct flight Southwest airlines from hobby airport, hobby airports on the South side of Houston. And you fly directly from Houston, Hobby, got to be clear on that, 
to Liberia. And Liberia is kind of a small, small city. I wouldn't call it a town. It's more of a small city. But uh, the airport is on the kind of the western side of the city. So you barely go through any city at all, any town at all. And it's mostly a, a narrow two-lane highway. Um, from It's an hour and 15-minute drive from the airport out to Tamarindo. And Tamarindo is the official beach town. It's more of a town um, on the, on the uh, Pacific coast. And that's where we're on the west coast. Okay. Before I left, I did the tiniest amount of research because I'd heard before for uh, interesting tidbits of information about different Central American countries. Like there's some Central American countries and other countries around the world where it is against the law to wear camouflage. And I just happen to have a pair of camo shorts and Kai's got some camo shorts. You know, it's typical like fashion these days. And also uh, what because it's a sign that you are in the army or want to be in the army and they are very uh costa rica has no army and they're very wary of any kind of militia group whatsoever because of all the uh the surrounding countries like uh, drug problems and so if you're dressed in camo then you're either you're wanting to start a revolution or you're some kind of mega drug dealer or something and and the cops have issues with that i think saudi arabia there's some other country in the middle east where you can't wear camouflage and uh, that didn't seem to be an issue in Costa Rica, but I did also not see anybody wearing any. Um, and then also um, there's a thing in Mexico where women should not wear shorts and because it's considered uh, really risque around there. So just for your own safety, if you're a girl, you don't wear shorts in Mexico. Culturally, you're sending out signals that you probably don't want to send out. And... I just got locked out of my computer. Let's see if I can get back in. And I'll probably mess this up. All right, we're back in. I need to change that setting. And I did want to bring my pocket knife. I, I really like my uh, my little pocket knife, little clip-on pocket knife. It's just super handy. And I mean, I guess if things got in a tense situation with somebody and in a dark alley, you know, at least I got a pocket knife. I don't know. I'm not a trained knife fighter <laughs> and you gotta be, if, if you carry any kind of anything like a gun or a knife, uh, that's also most, the most likely thing to be used against you if you try to pull one out. So it was just like, I just want to know, could I carry a pocket knife? And, uh, because, cause it's handy. And, uh, on this forum, I found somebody said, somebody asked like a similar question and they said, why don't you just carry a machete around like everybody else does? And I thought, Really, that's kind of an odd thing to say. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, the the consensus was that I could get before we left was that San Jose is a very, can be a very proper uh, Costa Rican city, Central American city, where people dress uh, prim and proper and you kind of got to watch what you wear and stuff like that. But outside of that, especially the uh, tourist city of Tamborindo and the airport going over there, then, um, it is pretty much a free for all in what people wear. Nobody really cares about anything. It's very laid back. So that's a good thing to know. Um, the one thing that we had out there was, uh, that I could not find anything on. It was Emily was talking about wearing yoga pants and I'm like, man, if they don't allow shorts, I can't imagine them wearing uh, pants that look like you've painted your legs and crotch with black paint. 
So probably not. So I told Emily maybe, and she got all mad at me. She's like, you don't know that. And I said, you just better not uh, push it and just kind of see, right? Like imagine going to Saudi Arabia and you're supposed to cover your face if you're a woman or whatever they have to do. And then uh, you you show up wearing yoga pants and, uh, and a halter top or something like that, right? It could be a problem. So you just don't know until you get there. So let's just play it safe. And um, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, what actually happened with that. One thing that I wish I'd learned before we got there, I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of glad that I didn't know until after I'd already done it today, is that there are crocodiles in the surf zone. <laughs> and the uh, that means if you're out surfing or swimming, there is a chance that there might be a crocodile in the water with you. It turns out they're not like the most aggressive, biggest, meanest crocodiles, but they are out there. And I didn't learn that until a day after I'd been surfing and I didn't see anything and I wasn't worried about it. So that was a good thing to know. And, um, also something about howler monkeys. And I was like, well, maybe we'll get to see, but I thought howler monkeys were like deep in the jungle and were huge from what I'd seen and how they, uh, sound. So I was like, well, we probably won't see those or maybe, you know, like it might be random. Boy, was I wrong about that. Okay. Another thing that we should have done is rented a bike for all of us, like different bikes and had them rented so that we could get around and brought our own bike locks, I think, so that we could have gotten around town, Tamarindo specifically, by bike anytime that we wanted because we need to go and get a little bit of food or anything uh, to try to save money, you know, like go to the little corner store and get our own food instead of eating out all the time. A bike, it was, a, it was like quite a walk uh, everywhere and a bike just would have been so much easier. And just to make arrangements, find out where we could rent a bike and rent them, you know, overnight or something like that for several days would have been so much better. But we never did, and uh, I would change that. So we got there, flew in. Oh, and this list of stuff is going to be um, really random. I tried organizing it, and then when I started organizing it, I couldn't get anywhere with organizing it. And then I thought it's more fun just to kind of go randomly. We don't know what we're going to get in this list. Um we got there and the first night we tried to eat at a place that was recommended called Dragon, the Dragonfly. And uh, we could not find it, could not find it, could not find it. Oh, that's another thing. It's good a data package uh, for your cell phone. And then finally we turned on my cell phone and turned on the map and then found it. And Tamarindo is like half of a, it's like a paved road and then like just random dirt roads that kind of go off into the back and and around and and um it's very much central american i guess third world country where there's nice businesses right up on the corner of a dirt road uh no curb or anything like that and uh you have intersections with like no no um traffic signals and nobody uses their traffic signal and you have like a three or four way intersection and cars are, you've seen videos of this i bet where people um just kind of weave their way around in traffic and then people, everybody's on mopeds and enduro dirt bikes actually because of the terrain out there. And, um, and all, all ages, any gender, uh, on any kind of mechanized or pedaling anything. It's, it's a freaking free for all and it's outrageous, man. It's, it's like you are in the shit, (laughs) but it's also awesome but it is a little bit, it's a little bit of a uh, culture shock, you know, when you, when you're so used to like controlled intersections and street curbs and stuff like that. And, uh, just things a little bit more under control, 
but everything's kind of laid back and and also all their all their um vehicles and mopeds and stuff are really underpowered compared to american ones so the top speeds like the biggest motorcycle i saw while i was there was maybe like a 200 cc or 250 and in, a, in the united states most people don't start getting motorcycles unless they're 600 and so um the but most stuff was like 100 cc um cars are like diesel which is slower to accelerate and they're small diesels so they don't have any like real top end so the speed limits are like if there is a speed limit it's like really low and then there's some potholes and and stuff like that not all the roads a lot of the the main highway was plenty fine and then um but uh you know no helmets half the time all the time um and like if you get into an accident you're probably going so slow that you don't really have you could get hurt but also maybe not so it was just really interesting you know and um uh we finally found this restaurant and started eating there and that's when we started noticing the prices i'm like this is 20 dollars a plate and i thought that we would be uh we'd go on vacation to this to costa rica and save a ton of money but man if you're eating out you are not saving any money they've jacked up all the prices for the uh, tourist economy and it is um, a miserable place to be uh, if you're thinking you're if you're you're gonna save money unless you somehow manage to get to a grocery store and um, and also are staying in a place with some sort of place where you can cook then I could see that you could um, save uh, some money on the uh, food and let's see Monday we didn't have anything we got there Sunday night Monday we had uh, uh, nothing on the agenda so we got up in the morning and rented kayaks and then kayaked around and we asked if we could kayak out to this little island and uh, we kayaked out there there's videos on instagram of zen triathlon uh, on instagram and you can see this like little island that we're on it's only like an acre big it was really cool and monday morning is when i started noticing the iguanas first um somebody was pointing in our, our hotel like the jungle goes like straight through the hotel and and the hotel and the jungle goes like right up to the water line and and so does our hotel and i'm like I was looking up in a tree, and I see this giant freaking iguana uh, walking along in the tree, and I'm staring at it and pointing at it, you know, and all that stuff. Turns out they're freak- they're everywhere, so like I was making a big deal out of nothing. And the um, because a little while later, I, well, I was telling this guy, I go, "Hey, there's an iguana up there," and he goes, "Oh yeah, well there's another one. It always hangs out like right here every morning. Oh there it is." And there was like right behind me was this iguana that was even bigger that was hanging out on the roof this low roof uh, kind of like a shed roof uh next to the restaurant and i was like oh my god dude it's right there and i used to know somebody really well that had a pet iguana and she had this massive bite mark on her arm where her iguana ripped her arm almost off it was a big iguana and uh so like you don't want to get too too close to him because if one bites you it's uh it's a bad scene so i was like whoa that's crazy and then um we are uh, sitting in the pool and then all of a sudden these two uh, guys on staff pull a, a, a ladder out of nowhere and start running a ladder up a tree. It looks kind of like a coconut tree and they lean the ladder up against the tree and start climbing it and they made sure it was like reasonably safe. But And then this is when I started noticing the safety uh, precautions that <laughs> Costa Ricans take. 
uh, are like almost none compared to our own. And then, um, but it's all reasonable. It's reasonably safe. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, the traffic kind of thing and the speed limits and the helmets. It's like, yeah, I mean, what's really going to happen, you know? And on one hand, you know, on one hand, it's like, man, this is dangerous. On, on another hand, I'm like, hey, man, they're getting stuff done, dude, you know? And this is what people do whenever uh, they're left alone, you know, to do with their own standards to get stuff done. And they get way more done. <laughs> I can tell you that. So they, uh, they started climbing this really tall tree with this ladder that I would not climb up. I was, the ladder was fine, but like how it was positioned against the tree, you know, they just shook it a couple times and they were like, okay, it looks good. And I was like, oh my God. So Kai and I were sitting there watching this and they go up and both of them have machetes strapped to their waist, of course. And then they start getting up into this tree and start hacking away at it and coconuts start falling out of the tree and branches and all kinds of stuff. We never really could figure out what they were doing. But we decided that they were probably uh, just trimming some of the jungle back that was running through the hotel grounds. And uh, this is just part of their daily work. And it was just interesting. And let's see, um, another note here. Uh, Costa Rica is one of these uh, places where people are very aggressive with their selling. I noticed this uh, in Mexico when I used to live on the border of Mexico. And you go over to Mexico, people get really up in your business and go, hey, do you, uh, you want to buy this? Hey, you know, and they, it's almost annoying. And then um, and they're just aggressive. And Costa Rica is similar, except they're, they're not as aggressive and they're not annoying. And it's just very pleasant and very nice. But they're always like, there's always somebody seeming to be selling something and like one one point i was in um like street vendors but they're just kind of roaming around trying to sell stuff and then i was um i was in a restaurant that was an open air restaurant i think everything's pretty much open air down there and then um if i'm three tables in to you know from the edge of the restaurant and then there's a, a sidewalk and then a street and the guy on the sidewalk is yelling <laughs> not really yelling. I need to be careful about that. But he's like, he's calling to me with a whistle uh, to get my attention. And I turn around and he, he wanted to sell me stuff from the street and I'm three tables into the restaurant. <laughs> I was like, wow, man, that's, uh, that's uh, aggressive. And, um, but it, it, it also is not, um, it's not a put off. It was interesting. There's places that I've been where, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this, this is too much. And, um, but this was not, it was, uh, I, I've always like, Oh, that's kind of a cool thing they're selling. And then, um, when I was, uh, flying the, um, there's times where you've got, uh, you know, you have to turn off your electronics and also, uh, you might have to, um, wait with nothing. And I found the um, practice of Zen to be really, really handy. You know, the first many years of practicing Zen, I found the, um, that the Zazen is where you sit and with nothing and you try to practice nothingness and kind of see what thoughts arrive and, and what to do with them. And that was kind of hard, I guess. And now 
I don't know if it was hard or not hard. It was just, uh, I don't know. It was just kind of a thing. And, but now I actually kind of look forward to it. So there was the, there was the flight. Well, we were, um, we had to wait on the runway for the plane in front of us to get out of the, uh, out of the, the, uh, the gate. So we had to wait about 10 minutes and I've noticed over the past couple years that I've gotten better at the uh, Zaza and stuff that whenever somebody's like, oh, sorry, we're just going to have to wait. Not only is it not a problem, I actually almost enjoy it because now's an opportunity just to kind of think about where I am and just be. And I noticed that on this trip that that's a really cool, um, handy tool to have in your hip pocket. Uh, that when the frustrations in life and there's waiting that you can having done it enough that it's something that doesn't bother you anymore and it actually it's an opportunity to sit there and think you're like oh okay well i we have to wait and do nothing some people get really frustrated right and uh and uh those of us that practice zazen are like oh okay well i've done that (laughs) i'm not afraid of being alone with myself and my thoughts. So, uh, let's, yeah, cool. Let's do it. And it was really cool. I really liked it. And it happened many times over the, uh, the trip, um, where if we wanted to, we could do something or just do nothing. And a lot of times I chose nothing and just to enjoy where I'm at and the sounds around me and just soak it all in. And it was really cool. Okay. After, uh, we come back, I got to take a quick break. Um, we've got, Uh, more of the vehicles and the airport and luggage choices and the zip lining and a little note about raccoons and prostitutes so (laughs) and electric mopeds so uh stay tuned hold on all right let's not forget our main homies salt stick salt stick is the sodium electrolyte potassium magnesium all the good stuff that matches what you sweat out. They sat down in a lab like our friends in Hornet Juice and figured out what you're actually sweating out when you work hard and then put that into a capsule so that you can put it back in. It's all the good stuff. During my uh, 100 mile Grand Fondo, I did one salt, salt stick cap uh, per hour. I mixed it right into my uh, fuel and it was fantastic, man. Like I said, I started to get cramps and then it went away. Really good stuff. So my electrolytes were on point. All right, you can get Salt Stick by going to saltstick.com slash Zentry. And when you go there, it'll ask you what's the password. Because what's the password? And it is Zentry. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. And let's see, you can, uh, I think it's 25% off is what you get. But anyway, there's also a store locator at saltstick.com or shopsaltstick.com is another website they have. Uh, if you live out of the United States, the discount's only good for uh, inside the United States. But anyway, you need to make your water stick or else it'll run right through you. And the way you make it stick is with extra electrolytes and um, yeah it really does work it's really good stuff i can tell if i don't use salt stick then i crave salt the rest of the day 
after a, a longer bike ride, for example, here in the Texas heat. And if I do use salt stick, then I don't go binging on potato chips and other salty crappy junk like that. It really is a smart way to go do things. And it's used by tons and tons and tons of pros. And they have that uh, dispenser that you can twist and get your, um, get your salt stick like uh, extruded one uh, capsule at a time. It is really amazing stuff. So again, go to saltstick.com slash Zentry and then use the password Zentry and that'll get you in for your discount and make your water stick with salt stick. All right, back to the show. All right, I'm back. Just a quick five minutes here on the way to Freebirds. Go get a burrito for lunch. You ever heard the saying, your parents really know how to push your buttons because they're the ones that installed them? <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, let's see. I want to talk briefly about Fat Max and Sugru. So Sugru is a... Um, it's a silicone putty that you can buy usually in very small amounts and it's somewhat expensive for its size you're kind of like huh 15 bucks <laughs> but anyway it's silicone putty that oh look at that a 1960 something chevelle ss that's cool uh it has um it's moldable it's soft at first and so you cut open this packet that looks a little bit like chewing gum it's like foil uh, to keep it airtight. And then when you cut it open and then start using it, you got about easily 10, 20, 30 minutes of it being super soft and moldable. And then when it hardens over the next 24 hours, uh, I guess it's got some kind of solvent in it. Um, that will, um, as it evaporates out, let's say it's got some kind of alcohol in it, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, as it evaporates out, it uh, no longer is soft and is now um, hard. And now it's just straight. It's not like rock hard. It's silicone. And one tip I have for y'all is... Do you have eyeglasses or sunglasses that slide off your face <laughs> whenever you're sweaty and you're running and biking? And um, put it on the earpieces that hook over the parts right above your ear and behind your ear. And I've been doing this for years. I did it probably five, six years ago. It lasted forever, forever, many, many years it lasts. Um, I mold one piece, you break it in half, pinch it in half like a loaf and then you can uh, it takes about half to cover an earpiece on your sunglasses and eyeglasses and just starting from the top of the ear back you don't need to do the whole thing and it makes your glasses anti-slip like really well really really well it's very impressive and I just got a new pair of glasses and I finally got around to um putting that on there and my glasses were sliding off my face and all that stuff so I just sat at my desk at work it took about five minutes and I put on 
Sugru, S-U-G-R-U. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it anywhere. And it really does work. And it comes in different colors and stuff. I use the black. No one ever notices it. No one ever says anything. Because you may be like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Somebody might notice. No, it works great. The other alternative is um, croquis. So croquis are, you know, the neoprene sleeves that you can put over your glasses and uh, to keep them from sliding off your face. But then they have a strap across the back. And yeah, you don't want to walk around wearing that. Um, cut them. So on my sunglasses that I wear while cycling and stuff, I've got croquis cut so it's about two inches long maybe um so they cover above the ear into the end of the earpiece the tail end of the earpiece and then it's um uh they your sunglasses don't slide off it's really freaking cool and um i want to start talking a little bit about fat max i guess we'll probably talk about it on future episodes too but it's if you google fat max you come up with like some like Sears Craftsman type of um, wide measuring tape, and that's not what it is. So if you Google Fat Max metabolism, then you start coming back with articles talking about um, Fat Max is this idea, uh, kind of like VO2 max, uh, max heart rate. It's what is the maximum amount of fat that you can burn while exercising and they found out something really interesting and that is that um the harder you go yeah you start burning more fat up until a point and then it's an absolute number so say you burn uh 200 calories 300 calories whatever it is per hour uh from fat while biking um, biking harder than that, say that's at zone two, right? And they say usually the peak of that is about zone two, zone three, maybe. They're thinking zone two, but that isn't using the latest uh, science, um, which we're going to get to in a second. They say um, uh, if you start going harder, say you start going zone three, zone four, zone five, the rest of, the, of your um, energy uh, comes from carbs, not from fat, but your maximum amount of fat does not, your fat max, uh, does not increase like a percentage. Like say it was 50%. It does not, if you go harder, right, then you burn more calories. It's not, it doesn't stay at 50%. It stays at an absolute number. It stays at like 300 calories. And because if it was, let's say it stayed at 50% and then you started going harder and you went from 600 calories, which 50% would be 300. If you go from 600 calories to 800 calories, it does not stay, fat max does not go to 50%, which would be at 800 calories would be 400 calories. No, it stays at 300 calories and then goes, the rest is made up by carbs, which would be um, or glucose, which would be uh, 500 calories, right? Uh, in this article, I was I read a bunch of articles on it, and the one really good one said how much your fat max is is set by your genetics and all that stuff. That is not true at all because you can manipulate how much 
your your fat max is by one your diet somewhat and two exercise so if i fuel with sugary stuff uh, during all my workouts one hour or less one hour, i start becoming so dependent on sugar that my fat max starts shrinking so that that sounds kinky so that my um uh I have almost, I'm burning almost no body fat. And I'm requiring carbs just to do anything. And that's where a lot of people are, right? People that are hangry and have blood sugar crashes and all this stuff. Um, they need carbs just to do anything because their fat max is so low. And that's from getting dependent on it and dependent on carbs. And I've noticed that over the years, that if I start doing fasted workouts and that, you know, all this stuff, that my fat max starts increasing and um, at first it's a little bit difficult but then the more I do it the um, the the less the fewer less carbs I need to uh, do a workout so I just need a little bit of sugar and um, yeah so it's not your genetics I mean maybe it is somewhat your genetics but no it's manipulable by diet and by your habits of what you do and um, it's really, really cool. And there was this other small part where they said, and actually uh, another interesting facet is the longer you go, so you start going two, three, four hours, your fat um, max does increase somehow, which was contradictory to the first part that I said, but they said you start going three, four hours, well, you start getting more and more calories from uh, body fat. And so you're training your uh, mitochondria and stuff. And that's why really long workouts are really good to teach your body to um, be uh, fat metabolism happy words. Okay, I'm going to go in and get a burrito with sour cream and guacamole. How about that? And salsa. Okay, I'll be right back. All right, we are back. I had a burrito with sour cream queso if you don't know what queso is that's a melted cheese bad queso is pretty much melted velveta real queso is real melted cheese and then uh yeah guacamole i think and some sour cream on it. lots of fat and beans no rice no tortilla so it wasn't a burrito it was a uh they call it a salad bowl kind of thing Anyway, let's uh, get back on our Costa Rica stuff. I think I mentioned that I used to live down by the border. So uh, I had three years of Spanish, two years of living on the border. Two years of that Spanish was living on the border. Uh, Mexican Spanish is actually uh, different than Spanish Spanish, Spanish Spanish, and is, which is different than Costa Rican. So my Spanish started coming back pretty quickly but they say things a little bit differently. Hola instead of hola in Costa Rica. And, uh, you know, where I walked into work this morning and I said hola to like three different people. And, um, and I'm not saying that's because I just came back from Costa Rica. I'm just saying that's how we talk here in Texas a lot of times. And also, um, it's kind of like living in Hawaii, right? You probably say aloha a lot, even if you're not even Hawaiian. Um, then also... Uh, somebody messaged me something over our work chat thing and hey can you do this and can you do that and I was like yeah sure no problem or I said no problemo I mean it's like we use it all the time right so um, they say in Costa Rica they say 
Panama instead of Panama, <laughs> which I thought was funny. And um, I may have already mentioned that already. But let's get down to... Um, it took it took a few hours, but yeah, my Spanish started coming back, and um, that was fun to uh, kind of know what I was talking about. Kai didn't know any Spanish at all, and people would talk to him in Spanish, and he would just stare at them with this dumb look on his face. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what I look like when I don't understand what somebody's talking about. And uh, we were trying to teach Kai some Spanish as we as we were going along, and he was trying to pick it up. But you could tell it was completely out of his wheelhouse. He didn't get it at all. He hasn't had any Spanish yet. But Kai's traveled a lot. He went to Sweden this summer, and he went to Scotland the uh, couple years before that. So he's he's uh, been some places. So he's not totally freaked out by being in different places. Um, yeah, motorbikes everywhere. Um, uh, did I mention uh, women uh, riding around on enduro bikes? <laughs> in the dark, you know, full speed. It was just like crazy, uh, bizarre. And then, um, then let's see, uh, go in the dry season on the West coast. If you want it to be a lot like Baja. So dry season starts, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago and then it gets really dry and then it doesn't rain for like six months or so they said. And so the hillsides around where we were were really dry and a lot of stuff was uh, they burn a lot of their fields and so a lot of their fields uh which is not it's bad for the planet nowadays now that there's so many people um it's good for the fields because it puts uh, nutrients back into the fields um but that's just kind of what they do there and then let's see so yeah the just random fires kind of here and there which was cool and then uh, diesel turbo four by fours everywhere. So the standard vehicle, if you have a vehicle would be a, it would be kind of like in America, we have a Toyota Tacoma or a Nissan frontier. So like, but the four door version of that. So you have your front cab and then your back seats all with their own doors and then a little pickup truck bed and the four wheel drive version of that but also diesel and also um, with a lot of times with a snorkel on it. So when it does get into rainy season, uh, they can uh, do stream crossings and stuff like that. It just seems to be kind of like the go-to car uh, with a roof rack and um, yeah, just universally like a tough, tough car. And uh, that's what they drove around there. I, I was really in love with it. I thought it was so cool. Because I drive a Nissan Xterra, it's gas, and it's only two-wheel drive, because that's what we need here in Central Texas most of the time. And, um, but I, I agree, four-door SUVs that are small and are just awesome. You can get around in parking lots, you can uh, weave in between traffic. Uh, they're more fuel-efficient than the big things. They're really, really cool. And, oh no, I lost my, I lost my notes. Hold on. And I got to type, get back in. I got to remember to touch the screen every once in a while. This is a touch screen. Windows. Now it's going, welcome. <laughs> Don't welcome me. I was just here, dude. You better not have rebooted. I need my notes. I need my notes. How am I supposed to be Zen when you take everything away from me? Pass it took you that long to figure out my password is incorrect. Okay, let's try it again. There we go. Oh my gosh. Okay. 
and then it just reloaded this web page up to the top. Um, did I already say we drove by the airport on a Tuesday and the airport was completely closed? Like there was no planes at all at the airport. It's like a four terminal airport, uh, four gate. I mean, four gate airport, one terminal, no planes, no cars in the parking lot. There's like nobody there. And it was, it was like, uh, 10 in the morning on a Tuesday. <laughs> we were like, Whoa, what is going on? This is in Liberia and not San Jose, but there's just days where flights don't come in, I guess, or something. And that was really, uh, that was really cool. And then yeah, instead of, instead of saying weird, I'm just gonna say that's cool. Cause I thought it was cool. I was like, I don't think it's bad. It's just the way it is. And then, oh, to travel there, um, our suitcases are old and they're beat up and there's zippers that won't close. Uh, they're just a mess. And so I was gonna, I told Emily, I wanted a new, um, suitcase or something for the trip. And she said, no, just make do. And I said, Emily, we're adults, you know, this looks terrible. Really, and people are going to treat you differently if you look this, this um, not together. I mean, it's really bad. Duct tape on the on the bags and stuff to hold them together. I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. This is our uh, this is our wedding anniversary, you know. And so she's like, well, suitcases are expensive, and I said, don't worry about it. I'm going to get a duffel bag. So when I was a kid, I had a my dad's old Vietnam. I think it was his Vietnam, or else he got it at a surplus store right after Vietnam. That could be Korean era, but a duffel bag that was huge, and you just fill it, fill it full of stuff, and um, it opened on the end, which is a bad design. And I was at Target. Two things I got at Target recently. One is this duffel bag, which I'll get to in a second. Another one is flip flops. If you want some good flip flops for by the pool, uh, get the Champion brand flip flops. They have some that are black with red tops, uh, and they're easy to find because they got some red on them. That's really cool. I didn't even take those to Costa Rica. I just thought I'd mention that. Then um, the duffel bag cost about 40 bucks maybe. And it is huge. And this is a modern design. So it's got rolling wheels on one end of it and a slightly stiffened area, a stiff uh, end on one end. And then the zipper goes all along the top, right? So you can open it up and see all your stuff unlike my dad's and then um no shoulder strap though but you're not supposed to carry it with a shoulder strap you could probably but you're supposed to you know pull it along behind you it's a little bit difficult to pull sort of because it needs to be full of stuff to really pull well unlike a suitcase that has a frame and a little bit of weight to it a duffel bag just is limp <laughs> and but the upside is uh we learned this from boy scouts when we were packing vehicles over and over and over again for Boy Scout trips, campouts, these kids a lot of times have these action packers, which are these hardened boxes. Well, an action packer, packer takes up a ton of space no matter what's in it. But a soft bag, like a duffel bag, a suitcase would be the same thing too. But a duffel bag compresses down to whatever's just in it. And so if you buy a really big duffel bag, like this one at Target, that costs about 40 bucks, it's actually really handsome looking too. Um, it's manly. It's very manly. Uh, then 
you can just keep cramming stuff in there and whatever space you don't use is fine because it does it's not a problem and whatever and then because it's a big duffel bag you can just keep adding more and more stuff which ended up coming in handy so if you're traveling and you're looking for a new suitcase get one of these big duffel bags at target is what i wanted to say i found one of these i wanted to pass along um on uh but another thing I noticed was the complete lack of safety anything. <laughs> Very little safety stuff. And it makes you, at first, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so unsafe here. But then the other side of it is like, how much are we babying ourselves in uh, the United States and some of the, our other countries against getting hurt to the point of we're like infants? And it, it's over it's overdone you know a lot of times people are like well i can't do this because there's no safety stuff and it's like it is not dangerous you can totally do that it's we've been babied to death um with all the safety things uh zip lines uh going from tree to tree you know there was no like railings a lot of times <laughs> um no you're doing like stairs and stuff, no railings, no, no warning signs, no endless like regulations on this and don't do that. Be careful. Warning, uh, no handrails, guide rails on anything. Um, I already mentioned, I think the guys working on, uh, if I haven't, I'll give it in a second. Guys working on clean, uh, tiles in the, um, in the, yeah, I think I did in the, uh, corner store just now that's kind of dumb that they didn't have safety glasses on but that's what i'm talking about like that's how uh weird it was and it's just weird like really if you go to a place like this pay attention to that it is crazy how um once you get out into the countryside the smaller towns there's just no safety anything and there's nobody inspecting anything you know it's crazy um then ah there we go I almost lost my notes again. Let's see. Uh, on the zip lines, I recorded it as a Strava workout. You can find me on Strava. I'm Brett Blankner, B-R-E-T-T, Blankner, B-L-A-N-K-N-E-R on Strava. And uh, you can, or maybe Zen Triathlon. I don't remember. And then uh, you can see some Costa Rica workouts. Uh, I saved my surfing sessions and my zip lining and I think the kayaking as uh, workouts i took my garmin watch with me and uh, if you travel long distances you need to know this for races if you travel long distances um like more than like 20 miles or, or probably or more from where you usually do your stuff it takes a while for your gps to pick up to figure out where it is uh, so you should know that and i i know that and then i um kayaking was the first thing and well before we got into the kayaks i turned on my watch and um got it to um i think on the car ride to the um to our hotel i turned on my watch and got it to pick up satellites so it got the correct time and all that other stuff um but i was able to go back and look at my uh, zip lining and we hit 32 miles an hour on the zip lines and that it's about what it sounds like uh, when you're going down one and 32 miles an hour, when you're hanging from a cable over the uh, jungle is uh, pretty intense. It wasn't the scariest thing ever, but, um, uh, it was very similar to the times where on purpose, I was trying to hit 50 miles per hour on my bike <laughs> on this one hill that has really bad pavement and I had to really work to try to hit 50 miles per hour. And, um, uh, it was very similar to that. 
And I did that years ago. I quit doing that once uh, Kai came along. And let's see, down the beach was a world-class surf break. There's one, I don't know where this one is, but there's one called Little Hawaii. And if you go there and you want to surf, then uh, go check out Little Hawaii, wherever that is. But the south end of the Tamarindo Beach is terrible for surfing. Um, And there's random volcanic rock underwater, so you need to know... Uh, where you're surfing and what's underwater before you go because you could have beach and then you can have rock and reef and and not know it so make sure you ask and find out and know and check for yourself because it can change and pick up different stuff uh at any point and let's see uh, our hotel room had no tv in it and the hotel said so on they say on purpose we have no tvs and that wasn't a problem for us it would have been nice i guess to watch um local tv because uh it's entertaining to see another culture's uh tv um i love doing that kind of stuff actually but uh it wasn't we didn't miss it um yeah we were right on the beach uh rented surf and uh kayaks um they take american cash everywhere credit cards almost everywhere oh i felt so bad we were we uh started to get ice cream and then it said uh cash only and we had no cash on us (laughs) and there were the people on the other side of the counter were standing there with uh this old old guy with the ice cream that he just made for us just standing there looking at us and we were like so sorry (laughs) and uh, we felt terrible um then uh let's see uh, Tam, I think I've kind of mentioned this. Tamarindo is a ripoff as far as the restaurants and eating out and probably the all the hotels and everything go. Um, if I was to go back, I was talking with Morgan about going back. I want to go back about getting like a, if they do some sort of, I don't know if they do or not, some sort of Airbnb where you just rent a, um, a, uh, a cheap apartment or a condo or a hotel room for cheap and share it with some other people. That'd be the way to do it. And um, they know that you're from a country with more money uh, than cents. And then um, they've got you trapped there. And so the prices are not cheaper. The prices are... At, they're more like New York City prices instead of Texas prices. <laughs> and I was uh, not uh, excited about that. Um, howler monkeys and raccoons... So a lot of stuff's open air and we were in, uh, the lobby of the hotel, which is open air at night. And there's cats that are like the, the staff cats, you know, there's cats kind of hanging out here and they're probably to keep mice and rats down or anything like that. Uh, not, I never saw any, so they're doing their job. And then, uh, we left back, went back to our room. It was dark and went back to the hotel and I saw this tail going up the stairs and what looked like a cat. And I said, oh, Emily, look, it's a cat. And Emily goes, that's not a cat. That's a raccoon. And then we looked up and there was three or four raccoons. And that's on Instagram, the videos of all the raccoons. And the raccoons look a little bit different than American raccoons. Um, they have like a narrower face and longer front arms or something. But they, uh, they're they really cool. They're jungle raccoons. And they, um, they're friendly, and I guess, mostly. And it was just cute. Uh, and they're making their little raccoon sounds. And they're everywhere. And uh, the Howler Monkeys, which are... um, I'm going to play some audio for you, actually, of the Howler Monkeys right now. So you can hear um, what they sound like if I haven't played it earlier. And it's some good stuff. 
they are loud. They echo through the woods. The big males are just nuts. And their nuts are hanging out big time. And there's everything, them and their nuts are swinging from the trees, being crazy freaking loud. When they decide, a lot of times they're quiet, but when they start going off, it is, you can hear them from three miles away. And uh, it is just the craziest sound. It sounds like a giant angry dog. And those, that was my favorite, was the uh, monkeys. Absolute I, favorite. I think they call them Mono, which means monkey, and Congo, which means either howler or jungle. And so the Mono Congo um, was what I was told. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, they're Costa Rican howler monkeys. Um, the guys chipping away at the tiles in the grocery store, the safety issue. I don't know if I've mentioned that yet because uh, it's in my notes further down. They uh, were chipping and then uh, a piece of tile like flew across the uh, corner store and hit a wall. And I was like, oh my God. And these guys are wearing like no um, eye protection. One guy's not even wearing a shirt and they're in flip-flops and beach shorts. <laughs> Back to the safety thing. I was, and there's other people just like walking all around and these guys are doing work, you know, on the floor. And um, uh, it was just bizarre, man. It was uh, really crazy. And then let's see, we saw, Emily asked why there's some, I think they're pretty sure they're Americans in front of us on the zip lines. And then our crew take, our guides took us around them because we were going faster for whatever reason. Because there's three of us and, and, you know, like six of them or something like that. I don't know. But also, oh, and zipline, if, if you're big and fat, you're ziplining, you're faster at first, but then you slow down more towards the end and they have to work a little bit harder to get you off the zipline or something, I guess, because it kind of goes up a little bit at the very end. And the um, these this group had, Emily asked, I didn't ask, Emily asked why they had extra straps above their shoulders to the zip line. Emily's been ziplining a bunch. And the guy, the guide said, um, oh yeah, uh, bigger, heavier, fatter people um, have to wear them so that they don't get turned upside down because you're top heavy if you're fat and you're strapped in by your waist, right? Well, if you let go and you're top heavy, then you flip upside down. And they said they don't, that scares people to death. They'll probably be okay, but it's not a good thing. <laughs> um, let's see. As far as my own personal experience with the uh, surfing, uh, surfing was actually uh, pretty easy. If you've surfed enough, this is something um, to all you surfers out there. If you've surfed enough in life, um, it's a lot like riding a bicycle. Don't worry about not surfing for a while and going back. It only takes like a, a wave or two. And um, you can stand right up and surf. And I've noticed this because I don't go surfing that much anymore. So when I do, um, the first few times I was like, oh, well, I, I wonder if I'll be able to surf. I wonder if I remember how. And no, it's easy. <laughs> but because you haven't been surfing a lot lately, your shoulders and your arms get really tired uh, really soon. So being a triathlete is awesome because you can, um, your arms are pretty strong from swimming. And uh, surfing is actually not that uh, difficult. Um, I think I stood up on my very first try on the first day and, um, it was a small wave and I just rode it for, you know, a few seconds, but it was still, I was like, cool. And let's see all oh, the electric mopeds. So these, um, these mopeds that we had, 
uh, were basically golf carts, but on two wheels. And the golf they were using golf cart wheels and tires, which were um, wide and flat. And if you try to take a turn, and you, they don't. So I did not know this until I was like, "Why are these? Why are these handling this way? This thing's handled terribly." And it's because um, most motorcycles and mopeds have a narrower, rounded off front tire, and your bicycle definitely does. Um, and uh, that's so that when you lean part of your turning has to do with leaning if you're in a two-wheeled vehicle and because these don't want to lean because the front tire is flat and wide just like the rear tire just like a their golf cart tires for sure um you had to like extra lean to get it to lean over so know that if you end up riding electric scooters that have these uh, golf cart uh tires on them front and back but they were like a tesla in that you just pull on the throttle and they go <laughs> and they accelerate pretty good up to a point. I think maybe maybe 25 miles an hour. I don't know what the top speed was. It wasn't very fast. Um, in most cases, it's not an issue. And um, I, I think I forgot to mention it, but um, I mean, I probably have, but the uh, and once you get out in the countryside, the intersections, even on major roads, but you're out not in the big city anymore. Um, a lot of roads have no signaling, no stop signs, no anything. And you just kind of have to figure out who's going first and who's going last. And it's fine. It's crazy. It, it totally, it's kind of like um, uh, uh, traffic circles. You know, once you kind of figure them out, they just work. You know, once everybody knows the rules. Well, this is very similar. As you come up on a intersection and somebody... Um, you can kind of tell from the intersection like who's got the right of way, and if not, you slow down. And then, uh, even though the intersection is packed on all three, four sides, people just go. They just take turns going. It's like a four-way stop. Everybody knows, <laughs> and it just works. It's really cool. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, so Kai and Emily and I uh, rented these mopeds, and uh, for the last for like an hour to the last daylight hours of this day that we were there, uh, one day we were there. And, um, so we're riding through town. This is the other most fun thing that I did. We're riding through this town. Like I said, with these crazy non signaled intersections on these mopeds, these electric mopeds with, um, no turn signals on them, by the way. And both Emily and Kai have never driven anything with a throttle, with a hand throttle, a twist throttle instead of a thumb throttle. Um, so they're trying to learn how to do that. And they don't want to turn correctly. Um, you have to learn to lean into the turn way harder than on a bicycle or on a regular moped. Uh, and it was nuts, man. It was crazy. It was one of the most fun things I've ever done. Um, it was very dangerous and stupid and exciting and um, safe at the same time in a weird way and uh just really cool and so um if be careful but uh, definitely try it if you're up for it if you're wondering and you kind of want to try it do it and then ride them on some uh on some of the really quiet roads first to learn how they handle and then um maybe go into uh, some more traffic uh kai and i were going down the major road in town to the next town <laughs> um 
on these things with Kai behind me and uh, uh, Emily further behind. They broke down three times, by the way, and we had to get different ones, which was funny. And then, um, uh, let's see. One morning I tried uh, fresh passion fruit, which tastes like lemon and um, grapefruit. It's super, super sour. And the seeds are kind of like pomegranate and you can kind of crush them a little bit uh, in your teeth. You just eat, eat the seeds with it. Um, they're really weird looking on the insides and um, they taste they taste um, terrible but great. And uh, you definitely need to try it. Uh, but you may not even want to eat a whole one, but after a few bites, you may be done. <laughs> It'd be like eating a lemon. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I got it. Um, but that's what passion fruit tastes like. I liked it. It was pretty good. But again, I only ate about a third of one. Um, For surfing and ocean stuff, if you're out on a kayak too, um, a really great hat is a boonie hat. You know, the ones with the, um, a big floppy hat, but Columbia makes one that has mesh around the sides of the top. You know, the part that actually goes along the side of your head is mesh. And then you can dip it in the water. It can get wet and it'll dry off pretty good. And uh, you won't be trapping water on your head. Um, it works pretty great. And then you can strap it down to your head so it doesn't blow off and stuff. Um, but culturally, they can tell you are a uh, foreigner tourist. And then you got to watch out for, not where we were, but just in general in life. If you look like a tourist, you might get mugged. <laughs> and um, so apparently you shouldn't wear it just walking around in town or else you look dopey. You look like an American tourist. Um, so walking around in town, just wear a baseball hat or a visor or something like that. You know, you can tell a triathlete from a mile away because they're wearing a visor and running shoes and no socks. <laughs> I wear socks nowadays, but um, that's how you can tell. So you could have the, the triathlete visor on. Um, let's see. Oh, a lot of surfing uh, stuff and ocean stuff. You need a rash guard, and that's to keep you from getting scraped up. Figured out that just wearing uh, a a, uh, a shirt, a mesh, you know, like a tech fabric, um, just a typical tech fabric, modern polyester tech fabric uh, shirt, loose cut, you know, just sort of like a regular cut T-shirt from a race that I did. Worked great as a uh, rash guard. Um, yeah, it floated up over my midsection a bunch of times, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. So if you're, you don't, I was going to go buy a rash guard. I thought, well, let me just try this. And then, uh, it worked fine. So you don't need the rash guard if you don't really want one. Um, then let's see on the second day of surfing, I was already starting to get tired from the first day. I was very careful on the first day not to try too hard because I knew I was wanting to go immediately the day after. And I'm glad um, and then by the day three, I was completely blasted. My arms were just worn out, but I'm so glad that I didn't, I did not go hard on day one or day two, um, so that, um, I would be able to go three days in a row and I'm glad that I didn't. And that's just a tip. If you're doing anything and you want to do it a bunch of days in a row, be careful because don't go easy. And, uh, that way you can keep doing it day after day. And then, um, we did something really smart and it was Emily that did it. She and I discussed this and she's learned from me cause I complain, uh, to do this, you know, 
we could have left Friday evening. We could have left, uh, you know, start going to Houston Friday evening. We got to drive to Houston to this airport because um, we live in College Station. But we left Sunday morning and came back Friday evening. And it was so smart. Um, so Saturday, we had all day to finish packing, right? No rush. The, your vacation starts the minute you decide it starts, right? So we decided, I've taught Emily this, we decided our vacation started on Saturday. Even though we haven't even left Texas yet. We haven't even left our house yet. But now the vacation starts. And so we got all day. We're just packing stuff casually, getting any last minute things, kind of getting in the mood that we're traveling and stuff, getting things to read on the plane, things to um, listen to on the plane. And then um, our flight, because we bought our tickets a long time ago, our flight left at 10 a.m. or something like that on um, Sunday morning. So we had plenty of time to drive to get to the airport, plenty of time to get on the plane, plenty of time. There was never any rush. No, this is a vacation. No rush. And also we should go, we should all go through life like this all day, any day. It's just no rush. And then you make much better decisions and you're way more relaxed. And then we got there middle of the day. And then we had all afternoon to actually do the hour drive and then kind of walk around town a little bit to kind of get a feel for where we were. Um, uh, What was that? Sunday afternoon, right? And then we did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, we flew back and our flight left at 10 a.m., I think, on Friday and right around there. And um, that gave us plenty of time, I think 1030 maybe 1040. It gave us plenty of time to get to the airport um, from to Liberia from Tamarindo, which is an hour and a half drive, hour 15 minutes. And uh, and then when we landed in Houston, there was a time, a little bit of a time change because America does uh, daylight savings and uh, Costa Rica doesn't. And so we landed around six o'clock and then by the time we got in the car and got all of our luggage, got through customs and everything, um, it was like 7.30, maybe, 8, I don't know, something like that. And then, um, but uh, the Houston traffic had died down, and so the drive from the airport through Houston was very uh, chill. I mean, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. And we got it home uh, around 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, um, and it was just like so smart because what we do so many times is to get a good deal you know to to all that stuff we get flights that are um got you leaving at crazy hour in the morning or and you got you coming in uh crazy hour at night and i know sometimes we can't help it but man if you can help it like don't do that (laughs) it is so much better to uh fly in the middle leave earlier uh, more towards the middle of the day and arrive more towards the middle of the day if you possibly can uh, because you sandwiched yourself with uh, buffer space on either side and Emily got these tickets um, after talking with me about what time so it's a lot of that credit goes to her I'm super excited that she's she saw the value in that and did that it made our vacation so great and 
Let's see, lots of walking everywhere, which was good for burning calories. I did not gain a pound, even though I drank a ton of beer um, and margarita, one margarita. Um, I did not uh, lose a pound, <laughs> which would have been nice. But uh, lots of walking, which is great. Emily really liked that. Um, I was listening to something, and the wording, I, could, I rewound it and tried to find it, and I could not figure it out again. But the whole... And the word was something like recuperate, revitalize, uh, re-energize, or something like that. But the whole point of a vacation is to get that. One of those. Recuperate, revitalize, re-energize, something like that. And um, towards the end of the trip, we started feeling like that. Like, ah, you just feel like more and more every day. Like a little bit more weight lifted off your shoulders. Just great. And... um, that's the whole point and uh coming back from vacation you should not feel stressed you should feel like relaxed that's why you take a vacation is to unload this kind of stuff and it's way better for your health to be like that um turns out yoga pants were not a problem everywhere i looked women were wearing yoga pants so if you're a woman and you're like uh can i wear yoga pants to costa rica uh, at least the, the, to Liberia and to, um, Tamarindo. Um, yeah, that's like, just like dads wear, uh, cargo shorts, uh, women wear yoga pants, um, like it's a freaking uniform and it's great. And, uh, it's great for them and it's, uh, they love it and I'm all for it and everybody else seems to be all for it. Nobody seems to have a problem with it. So yoga pants it up <laughs> if you want. Um, when we were trying to find Emily some sugar, uh, it's called uh, Zumo de Frutas, apparently. But then I talked to my friend that's Mexican, and he goes, huh? And he goes, that's not even a, th- what is that? And I go, well, that could be Spanish Spanish. And um, I don't know, you know. So, uh, yeah, do the data package and uh, have Google Translate on. And maybe you can show people the words or something. And then Google has that thing where it'll read signs and show you what the text is. I forgot that's called, but it'll translate the text on things too, which would be really cool. We never used that. We should have. Um, yeah, we should have bought a data package, maps, um, translation stuff, like I just said, and rent bikes. If you go um, ahead of time, rent bikes so that uh, you have them for the week it lo- and bring your own bike locks. That looked like it would be really, really convenient. Um, some last words about the trip and things to take take home literally and figuratively from this is when you go on vacation and you have nothing to do or you go to a different place and everything you know it gives you that beginner's mind fresh look it kind of makes you kind of realize what you're in the because you're not in your habitual environment anymore you realize what your habits are, you know, because you can't do them. You're like, oh, usually I would read right now, or usually I'd watch TV. Well, there's no TV, so you realize, man, I'm kind of addicted to watching TV or whatever it is that you do. Um, also, pay attention on your vacation when you have this free time and you're just relaxing and stuff like that. I noticed that you should pay attention to what you really like. What do you do? What do you do when you're able to do whatever you want? <laughs> and take note on that. 
You know what I like to do when I'm able to do whatever I want? Nothing. I like the the hotel room was super quiet in the middle of the afternoon. It's kind of hot outside. Um, we had the fans on and it's just quiet and we we're taking a nap. And at one point I just videoed it just to have, I'm not going to publish it, but I just to have, I did a 360 degree slow video of what true bliss looks like. The we're under a tree canopy so it's just some sunlight and the the it's not like the blinds are closed but it's got curtains over the windows uh, and they're linen so just a little bit of like light and they're green so like an olive a light olive green so like it's the whole room was like this like this really a uh, soft green glow <laughs> in the middle of the afternoon and we were just laying there uh me and emily and kai everybody's just napping and, and I was also listening to um, Zen podcasts. I was listening to the Austin Zen Center Zen podcast. So I was just listening to somebody talk about something, you know, who knows what. And it was so wonderful. And I was like, this is what I like to do when there's nothing to do. <laughs> is, you know, just relax. Now, normally, you know, I go for a ride or a run or something like that. But I'm, I'm also kind of like over that. I'm like... I do that already, you know, and, and I'm trying, this is vacation. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to take a break from all that. And that's what I did. It was so nice. So when you take a trip like that, notice what you really miss and what you, the good stuff for you. And then learn that that's, that's okay. Cause there was the other thing where it's like, well, the Zen podcast kind of used the internet in a way. Um, and also napping is kind of lazy in a way. We should be out doing stuff. And, and I'm like, no, throw those conceptions, like we talked about earlier, out the window. Those are concepts. Have an empty mind and be like, man, you like this. This makes you feel good. This is your vacation. You, you do this. And it's okay, man. Don't feel guilty about you know, doing this or that or the other. Um, as long as it's not... As long as it's not uh, unhealthy or something like that then this is good so that's what i learned about myself and oh and yeah the birds and the jungle sounds every once in a while a, a howler monkey <laughs> uh man i'm gonna go back and look at that video this afternoon it, it was oh something else i'm gonna probably send it to emily so she's got it and let's see the other thing is southwest airlines i think i may have already said this they are amazing man what a great airline and emily i didn't even notice it at first but i i remembered it after she said so that they don't charge for your first bag you know and then there is a it's kind of a hassle like um when you first got on the plane if you got a bunch of people you might not end up sitting together because if you get boarded last people start spreading out and taking up all the seats and now you're left with like little single seats like here and there and there and we had three of us so on the flight there we um, we ended up not being able to sit together, which kind of sucked. But on the flight back, we ended up being able to sit together, and that was really cool. But the staff on Southwest Airlines, man, y'all are great. Thank you so much. And somehow I managed to get uh, a free beer on the fl- on the flight. I, I, I had a ticket for a free beer, um, and Emily did too. A free some kind of alcohol drink, and uh, and Kai did too. But you know, <laughs> he got an apple juice. And that was um, that was really cool. So thanks, Southwest Airlines. All right, that is enough of the Costa Rica stuff. 
this is um one of those places where like when i've left i I really want to go back like as soon as i can it's unfortunate that it costs a lot of money the flight and everything to get there but i've already been talking to morgan we're like man we should go back (laughs) or i should go back and uh, he's never been he's like dude that would be really cool i go dude it's really cool you just go there and do nothing isn't that great all right that's it um we'll wrap up the show here in a minute we got an email and uh some other stuff all right hold on all right let's step away from the regular content here for a minute and drop in on a little amrita bars i just got off the phone with arshad the owner of amrita bars and he said that let's go ahead and change the discount code to zen 2018 so we can keep track of things for the year and he also wanted to talk to kai which is really cool and help sponsor kai with being an amrita athlete and I was really, really excited. This is Kai's uh, first uh, sponsorship. And uh, Kai's my 13-year-old son. He's big in the triathlon. And uh, is just killing it out there. And uh, that just goes to, goes to show how much the, um, the Amrita Bars group is behind uh, Zentri and a fan of you guys out there as well and a believer in the show. And what you can do is get your own Amrita bars with the discount code of ZEN2018 and you get $10 off your initial order. And also for all ongoing ongoing orders, you get another 10% off. And let's see, when you get to $150 total, you can get a free Amrita top. So that would be a cycling jersey, a running uh, shirt, uh, tri-top. They just have to send you... Send uh, Arshad an email so you can go to amritahealthfoods.com and check out all their stuff. They've got date-based bars that are really good with the um, no nuts, uh, gluten-free. We're just like super, super healthy, super clean, easy to eat, uh, great for being on the bike and just uh, super easy to digest. I had one uh, the other morning before going out on a ride. It took me uh, forever to get going on a uh, on a workout, so I started snacking on them. And then I have them at work, and it's really great because I know that um, they're going to be super healthy. And they have like a whole bunch of different flavors. They have uh, protein recovery bars, all that good stuff. So again, check them out at amritahealthfoods.com and use discount code ZENTRY2018 at checkout. All right, let's work towards wrapping up the show. We've got listener emails and donations and also an update on something really cool. Hornet juice is a an amino acid powder and I used some this morning on my bike ride and matched my best ever, best ever one hour ride, which I thought was nuts because I had no breakfast. So starting a day or two ago, I started doing uh, just, I'm going through a a short phase of low carb, high fat to get into ketosis, to kind of boost the metabolism a little bit. Not permanent, just, you know, just cycling through it. So after going to sleep last night and 
that's basically a fast overnight that burns through your reserve carbs and then getting up this morning and having butter in my coffee and not um, no sugar or anything like that no cereal nothing just butter in my coffee and then I drank a uh, packet of hornet juice and hornet juice like I said is an amino acid which means it's just protein um, I think it's got the tiniest amount of carbs in it but maybe not I think it may just all be protein but it's only like 60 calories which is almost nothing but what it does is the protein blend in it signals your body to start burning body fat and I'm already fasted and I'm burning body fat and on top of that I'm uh uh, I think eating some fat like uh, butter in your coffee. I use the uh, Irish, it's Irish gold. I forgot the name of it. Something gold. Um, real, real uh, buttered, uh, organic buttered, uh, super high quality grass fed stuff. And then I use the arrow, whatever, uh, frother to kind of blend it all together. Not much, maybe like the equivalent of a pad and a half of butter. And I got on the bike and started uh, pedaling along, and I was like, "Whoa, man, this is uh, pretty strong." It's weird. You feel that you feel like you got not much top end, but your bottom end just feels insane. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, you start getting very close to your threshold watts, and you feel like uh, it, it doesn't hurt, and you just keep going and going and going. And I was just drinking salt water with some salt stick, uh, sodium, uh, electrolyte capsules in it. And I just couldn't believe the uh, numbers I was putting out. Um, I think I averaged 260, averaged 268 watts for the hour. So that includes um, a warm up. You know, it takes a few minutes to kind of get up to power. And also, um, a pro tip is uh, you can do. A workout where it's in thirds and you kind of if it's an hour but pretty much every workout you ought to kind of consider throwing the first third away it's just like a warm-up and then your middle third is um, just go kind of an average and then your last third um, anytime that you have a question of like well should I go harder or not then you can you can go yeah I'll, I'll go a little bit harder and so that's what, I, that's what I do a lot of times on a lot of workouts. I find it really helpful with running. Uh, but then you have to have a course, a training course, a run loop, whatever it is that you, that's a third. And you just do one lap, two laps, three laps. I guess you could just do by mileage too if you wanted to. And on Zwift, if you start off and ride the flat loop, but then ride the outer perimeter I guess it might be the western edge, northwestern edge of the um, volcano. It doesn't really matter that much. It kind of depends on your speed. That ends up taking me 20 minutes. And that's a third. And so then I've noticed that the first, even though I've thrown away the first third mentally, you know, it's still pretty good because you're not trying too hard. And then even though you're not trying too hard, you still kind of like comparing your middle third, your your second third to your first third and going, yeah, it's kind of cool. And then you still kind of want to make your last third a little bit better than your second third. So it's like this really interesting training technique, a little psychological trick. And it works for me. It kind of depends on the person, what works for you. 
what little tricks you need to um, get you going a little bit better. But anyway, yeah, I did 268 watts or 270 or something like yeah, and then my best ever for an hour is 271. Best ever. <laughs> and who knows what that was for and, you know, when. Um, and that, that was on Zwift uh, riding along. That could have been in the middle of something else. I don't know. So I was like, wow. So on no fuel, just burning fat and Hornet juice, I rode basically the best that I've ever ridden, matched the best I've ever ridden with no fuel. So the fat metabolism stuff... Uh, definitely does work uh, hornet juice uh, i'm a reseller of him and that's on the right side of zentrathlon.com uh, one packet lasts an hour hour and a half and uh, it comes from new zealand and if you order it through there then you get an email from me and you can get uh well once i have your email then you can uh, email me more questions i recognize names and uh, ask ask me questions and stuff like that. I don't mind whatsoever. And I know we got to be buddies first, though. You know, we got to have a little bit of contact. Somebody random emails me a question. I don't <laughs> and I don't recognize the name. I'm kind of like, uh, who are you? But um, if I've dealt with you before, then I love helping you out. Speaking of which, Lars emailed me and I recognized the name just out of the blue, and he said, "Hey, I was listening to your old podcast and or your most recent podcast, and you mentioned something about." Um, that you liked including the uh, dead spaces in the audio and kind of want to know what everybody thought about that because it's uh, it makes the show more authentic and as adults and today's hectic pace um, I like including the dead space it makes us pause for a minute it's actually good for us to practice with that it's a very zen thing and and uh, Lars wrote in that yeah dude I freaking love that uh, keep doing it. And so thanks, Lars, by the way. And that's really cool. And also, I um, was listening to a Dharma Seed podcast, one of the most recent ones. They put out like two or three in one day just recently. <laughs> and it was like 45 minutes long. And he starts talking and he's talking about this. And he goes, okay, we're going to practice some meditation for a few minutes, uh, some quiet meditation. So let's do that. And what was so hilarious is they didn't edit out the silence. So they did like 10, 20 minutes of sitting silent and just left it in the podcast. It's crazy. I was just sitting there going, are they going to, are they going to cut out the silence? No, dude, you got to listen to the whole thing or you can fast forward, which I did after a while. And then on this, they did it again. And on that one, I just left it plain because I was kind of going along with them. It was kind of neat. Hold on. Let me get a coffee sip here. Okay, now we have emails and questions. Uh, Russell sent in a, um, let me see if I can get it to pop open. I may have to do this another time. Okay, Russell, we're going to have to get to yours in a second. It's not popping up. Uh, Russell sent in a letter. I think he's, yeah, I know he's the uh, athlete that has a heart valve, uh, a mechanical heart valve that keeps training and, and uh, listens to the show. And he wrote in, uh, that's really inspirational. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Brett Hoyer sent in a donation. 
on the Hornet Juice is on the right side of Zentri and donations are on the left side and donations keep the show on the air. Every few months, you know, I'm like, I'll get frustrated with something and I'll say, I'm just going to quit making the show. <laughs> and I say it out loud to Emily to kind of gauge her reaction. And she goes, you better not because that show helps pay the, pay for your triathlon bills. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So uh, Emily is in support of me keeping doing the podcast and she's the smartest person around in our family. So if she says to keep doing it, then you know we got to keep it on the air. And it helps pay the, um, the bandwidth, uh, all the time it takes to make shows and everything. So on the left-hand side, you can do a recurring donation or a one-time donation. And um, I get an email and uh, that you've donated and it's super easy. And I can um, read your name off on the show if you send in a donation. So Brett Hoyer, the coolest first name in triathlon, sent in a donation. Simon Wright, Will Smith. Is that you, Will Smith? Which Will Smith is this? And, oh, by the way, ever check out, uh, what is it, Caden Smith? Their son is freaking hilarious. He's awesome. He's a very zen kind of guy. And Jonathan Woodman sent in a donation. Jonathan, oh, John Mulan, and Tanya Roy, and Daniel Clemens, and Karen Jackson, and Katie Joe Favia. What's up, Katie Joe? Justice, the coolest other first name in triathlon, Phillips, uh, a relatively new donor with a uh, really cool name, Pablo Cacho. Send a donation, and James Godek. And Peter Salzen and Hans Henrik Madsen. And I can't tell if that's the Hans Dash Henrik. Is that the first name or the last name? Because uh, sometimes uh, donations come in as an email and you know people's first names get put in front of their last and all that stuff. But anyway, I'll come back in just a moment and we'll read off that um, that heart valve email. It's really cool. That's short, and then uh, we'll wrap up the show. All right, everybody, hang on just a moment. All right, we are back. Emails from Russell Morrow, or Morrow, like tomorrow, Morrow. And uh, he sent it to me, and he mentioned uh, Taryn, Triathlon Taryn in it, so I forwarded on to Taryn, which also I have an update on. And let me see if I can pull it up real quick. It's here in my emails. All right, first off, he says, just in case you want to use the upside down exclamation point on an iPhone, because <laughs> his, his email had like tons of exclamation points in it. Uh, he says, do a long press on the exclamation point, and one of the options that pops up is an upside down uh, exclamation point. That's pretty cool, because I use that in the Espanol. And he said, also, I found your channel from Triathlon Taryn. Thanks, Taryn. And you guys really keep me motivated as I journey into triathlon. I have always had an open mind when it comes to Zen. It's so cool how you practice Zen and endurance exercise. Hey, thanks, dude. They go hand in hand. This is me talking. They go hand in hand, man. Um, I learned about one better by learning the other at the same time and which one am i talking about both 
when I say one and then the other, put put the one in there that you feel like saying. Okay, let's see. We have uh, I have had a long journey. At age of 25, I had my second open heart surgery caused by a birth defect. Whew. Now I have a mechanical heart valve. Hopefully, I never have to go through that again. Hey, buddy. Um, my One of my best friends when I was an undergrad, he was in grad school, but he was working on mechanical heart valves, and he was testing uh, different materials, uh, Teflon, for example, to make sure. The problem is his valves uh, can wear out, and so you want to look for a material that's never going to wear out, and he was working on that stuff a long time ago. So I know a little bit about what you're talking about. I thought it was fascinating. Maybe you want to be a grad student, what he was doing, which I did. Um, after my surgery and about two weeks before I got clearance from my doctor, I bought a bike. It was a Trek 7.3. It was way too big for me. LOL, comma, but it was mine. I rode it every day after work. After a few months, I entered a few bike rides, maybe races. Um, though some of my, some new friends, through some new friends, I found out that triathlons are various distances. Yeah, that was my problem too. <laughs> I had to learn that triathlons uh, weren't all Ironmans for me to get started. I was like, there's no way I'm doing an Ironman. And they're like, no, dude, they're sprint triathlons. Uh, I honestly thought all triathlons were either a full or a half. I thought all of them were full. Full or a half Ironman distance. Once I found out about a sprint triathlon, I started training. Uh, once I, f uh, I joined a local Y, YMCA, and started swimming. It was not easy at first. I was never good at swimming as a kid. Uh, when I first started, I was so self-conscious about the massive scar running down my chest and wouldn't go into the pool if anyone else was there. Thanks to your methodology, really me? It was honestly, it has honestly helped me get past it. I now no longer care what others think about my scar. It is who I am and tells a fun story. Dude, listen, I got more for you, buddy. You're gonna love this one. Um, well, the short one that I've learned later in life as I started doing triathlon is you will never get triathlon done if you worry about what other people think. It's impossible. If you worry about what it is, triathlon's uh, the opposite of doing what uh what you doing stuff and worrying about what other people think it is such a weird sport and you have to do three you can't you can't get it done if you care how you look there's not enough time in the day to make yourself look good like there is with a single sport and the other one is um one of my best 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 friends growing up Oh, the show recently where I had the um, the guy on that was uh, from Denmark, I think, that um, was uh, had the really cool bike, and we talked about the bike, the Diamondback. 
his best friend growing up, uh, we discovered during the show, was one of my best friends growing up. He was friends with him first, and then I was friends with him a little bit later in high school. And that friend of mine, of ours, um, they were on swim team together. And this friend was a uh, really good swimmer, right? Nathan is his name. And Nathan, when I first met him, uh, we were sophomores in high school. He opened up his shirt and had this freaking huge scar going down the middle of his chest and then over to the side. And and he had this prank he would play on people. And I, if you asked him what it was, he would show people and then he'd say he got into a fight. And the other guy had a hatchet or a machete and chopped him open a little bit. And that's how they stitched him back together. And no, that's not what happened. <laughs> he actually had a tumor the size of a softball or a grapefruit or something like that in his chest uh, when he was a little bit younger and they had to cut him open and cut it out and the chest the it, the um the way they had to cut it out it ended up ruining i guess you'd call it not it doesn't matter that much but about half of his lower peck on one side because it got like a like the letter l they went down the middle and then over and then um, the nerve damage from doing that surgery somehow, even though they went into his um, chest, it affected his left or right eye, and he can't open his right one of his eyes a hundred percent. It's like ninety percent, so it it just droops just the tiniest bit. And also, one of his eyes is different color than the other. I think it altered the color of one of his eyes. And anyway, and <laughs> instead of being ashamed or embarrassed about it, he just attacked it aggressively and would like tell people that he was attacked and like it cut him open and, and was like super positive about it and funny and um, ag- aggressively like putting it out there and was a fantastic swimmer like you're just talking about um, in spite of it. Wow, that's that's a funny uh, coincidence that um, you both have that, and it was all in his mindset, man. You know, it's all with what you do with it. We all have problems. Um, so let's see. Let's go back to the uh, thing. It is who I am, and tells a fun story. Exactly what I was saying. I am now part of the master swim group with the nickname Crocodile, with a mechanical heart valve. I sound like a clock. One of the people in my group was a big fan of Peter Pan. LOL. Um. Yeah, dude, for Halloween, you ought to wear a hook on your hand. That'd be funny. Uh, let's see. Thank you for all the motivation you provide me and the rest of us age groupers. I have my first try in three weeks. And thanks to you and Triathlon Terran, I know I'll knock it out of the park. Looking forward to the next podcast, Russell. What a cool email. So, Russell, I forward this, forwarded this to Taryn, and he wrote back, uh, Oh, man, that's cool. Thanks for forwarding that along. How's your body these days? Any injuries or are you gearing up for something? And then Taryn and I started talking and then I went and checked his latest uh, videos. So I knew I was up on whatever we were about to talk about. And one of his latest videos is, um, he's kind of, Taryn is a little bit depressed and doesn't know what to do because the channel, the YouTube channel is hard work. Sorry, got a phone call. And the... The channel is hard work, and he doesn't really know. 
Um, the, he's got a, doesn't know what to do about this injury. So he's got like an Achilles tendon injury. And, um, and I told him, I said, you know, this is very similar to like what happened to me and what happens to people. Um, and I'm not one of these that go pro. Um, but you kind of clear your schedule. I, I started training for an Ultraman. So I really doubled down on training and Taryn, um, really doubled down on training and increasing triathlon training for his, uh, just for his channel, just for his YouTube channel. And, um, and trying, I guess, trying to grow his volume and stuff like that to go, uh, like full arm. He's never done an Ironman, so he wants to go like full Ironman. And, uh, pros, um, will, people that go from age grouper and they do good enough to uh, become a pro, they'll get their pro card and then they'll like quit their full-time job and get like a part-time job or whatever they do. And then, um, uh, will open up their schedule to, um, train a ton more and it's too much, too fast. And I think I talked about on a previous episode, what a lot of pros do more than you and I do is they sleep more. They don't train more. They, and that we got to remember that if you're that good, if you're good enough to go pro, you're already doing the training. You need to, um, consider, uh, uh, don't change the training is, is what my point is. You're already doing that right. Obviously to be that good, um, change your rest, like add in more rest. And, um, yeah. So anyway, uh, my little update on triathlon Taryn is I just had an email conversation back and forth with him about that. And I, I suggested, cause I'd forgot, I suggested this before was, um, dude, um, I thought he was having plantar fasciitis, which I think he does. He has heel pain, which is related to plantar fasciitis. And I said, um, oh, dude, you got to sleep in the night boot. You got to do the night boot like all the time, man. It fixes everything. And he said, uh, actually, you told me that before. And I tried it and it made it worse. <laughs> it made his Achilles tendon thing worse. And I was like, oh, huh. I never thought about that. So the human body is like really complicated and you try to protect one thing, you might be stressing out something else like the Achilles tendon. So um, if you have Achilles tendon issues, to try to make lemonade out of these lemons that we're talking about right now, uh, at least I thought I would spread out there to everybody that if you are, uh, there seems to be at least one data point that if you're suffering from Achilles tendon issues, uh, which is different than plantar fasciitis, majorly different. Um, don't do a night boot because it made triathlon Terrence <laughs> Achilles tendon injury worse. Okay. So that's that. Um, I think we're going to get off the mic, uh, real quick. I'm going to go, uh, inside and play with my dogs and then we'll wrap up the show. All right. Bang. All right. We are back. We're going to wrap up the show officially for sure this time. And I actually have uh, two little pieces of info as we head out the door. Um, one is a goggles uh, swim tip, and the other one we'll do right now, which is the uh, nutrition thing. So the past few days, I've been doing um, ketosis, and that's where you eat no, almost no carbs, so that you're really burning body fat. And I thought, um, I tell you my experiences so far. I've done it off and on before, you know, it's no big deal. And I think, uh, what I've learned recently is to hold it loosely. That way you don't get rope burn is always the same. You hold on to concepts too tightly. You get rope burn when they don't turn out to be true. You end up hurting yourself. And 
what's working right now is uh, going, uh, getting up in the morning, having coffee, uh, buttered coffee, and then um, and then doing a workout, and then having uh, breakfast later. And I, I'm sure a lot of y'all already do that. And um, but that that fast overnight, and then the workout. Um, I mean, you are depleting all your carbs. I work out for like an hour, swim, bike, or run. Just depends on the day. And um, yeah, that thing happens where you just like all of a sudden you're not hungry, and that's your body's like gone full uh, fat burning mode. And one really interesting thing is yesterday was the bike ride, and then today was a swim. Um, exact same power numbers as if I was fueling <laughs> like like with a small bowl of cereal beforehand and then like sugary crap uh, along the way during the workout um, exact same numbers like it's absolutely crazy and that won't happen immediately it takes a little bit of training a little bit a little bit of experience you know knowing not to push it too hard at first um, and just pace yourself but this whole thing where you have to have carbs to have a good workout is totally uh, not true. And the thing where your fat burning rate is fixed at whatever low percent um, is totally not true. Because the more I do it, the the um, I can just feel like the metabolism shifting in the direction of, of burning uh, fat. But again, um, the one thing I did learn recently is like you got to go all in for that time period uh like i said like nothing overnight and then nothing for breakfast for you for it to work if you're in the gray zone it it might be like extremely unhealthy like uh, and then also lots of salt lots of salt in your fluids that way you retain fluids because you'll drop fluids if you drop carbs but it's uh really uh, yeah, well, I was talking about the gray zone. The gray zone, oh my gosh. It's like painful to be kind of going in and out in uh, kind of a moderate area. So, But I've noticed if you go all in and go so low carb, like so, like I said, overnight, no breakfast, and then do a workout, you get this weird like, like uh, energy kick. Like you feel awesome. You feel strong. And then workouts, like I said, are just as strong. It's like mind-blowing. And you feel wide awake and sharp. Uh, for quite a while and um, so like after the workout I've been trying to eat like scrambled eggs with a little bit of salsa and some hemp powder mixed in to give it some greens and fiber and stuff and let's see that's all that I don't want to harp too much on that stuff because that's a nutrition stuff is uh, can get to be a little dangerous if you're not paying attention to what you're doing and and again if you hold it uh, that rope a little bit too tightly and then the other thing is, um, I just figured out a trick after all these years of swimming. <laughs> after 35 years of uh, yeah, 35 years of swim team and swimming, competitive swimming, uh, I figured out a trick. You ever uh, get in the pool and your goggles aren't new anymore, and then you got haze on your goggles, right? And you're like, oh, they're getting foggy. The anti-fog's worn off, and like you can't see as well and it's like this white haze all over your goggles and just kind of splotchy and kind of here and there 
I figured out a way to get rid of it. Um, I use, what goggles do I have? I use Aquasphere Kaimans. They fit, over the years I found that that's a pair that fits my face. Um, so they have kind of soft, flexible lenses. Um, so uh, this may not work on yours, but it might, it should. Um, the other day, I thought I'm gonna try something. I got out of the shower, I was in the shower, and um, while I was in the shower, I took soap um, and started polishing the inside and then the outside. I don't know, I couldn't tell which side it was on. The inside and the outside of the lenses with uh, soapy water in my fingers and my thumb, almost like I was polishing a shoe. shoe. So circles, just in circles, semi-firm, pretty firmly, just poly just with soap. Just, and what's, what it did, um, I couldn't tell immediately, you know, uh, rinse all the soap out and everything and then put my goggles away. And then two days later, when I go to swim again, I notice, um, wow, my vision is super clear. I can see everything, it worked. And then so I did it again the next time and then it was even better. So the habit seems to be um, when you are in the shower rinsing off after your swim to get all that nasty chlorine off of you, um, take a moment, just like you should rinse all the chlorine out of your swimsuit so your swimsuit lasts a long time. Um, take a moment and polish the lenses of your goggles with soapy water with your fingers. And I don't think uh, you have to do it much at all. You just need to be in the habit of doing it on occasion and doing it some, and that should keep your goggles uh, free so you have nice clear vision when you're swimming. All right, that is it for, oh, it makes your goggles last a whole lot longer, which saves you some money. That is it for this episode. Um, really soon, we've got Emily doing Galveston 70.3. Um, we're gonna hope that she's trained enough. <laughs> and uh, uh, another athlete that I'm coaching is doing it. And both of them have had major like family issues uh, to overcome um, that we'll get into during that episode. I'll interview them about that. And hold on, I'm trying to park my car. Is this a parking spot? I guess it is. And um, yeah, maybe in future episodes we'll talk about, um, I got a new boss at work. It's two up from me, but I thought I'd describe like the Zen application of uh, what to do when you get a new boss and how that's working out. It's kind of, um, it's kind of interesting and fun. And there was one other thing. Oh yeah. Hungry ghosts. That's what it is. I had to look it up for a second. All right. We are now done. Oh yeah. Hungry ghosts. I had to look it up for a second. Hungry ghosts are super, super cool. And once you know what they are, it's very handy to know that that is what is happening and work your way around it. All right, we'll cover that on the next show for sure. All right, everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out.